0: the same problem we did last week there's too much genesis chapter 3 by itself is too much we spent the whole hour in bible study just trying to deal with the things i can't talk about in here because of time and because they're tangential they're not the main thing and we only got to one of them i think maybe two the whole bible is in genesis 3 everything is there in some way Learning how to see it is important, but then learning how to live from it is even more important. To be able to see the curse particularly, what God says as a result of our rebellion against him, to see that as the unassailable wisdom of how the world works is one of the best tools you could ever have for living the life that you want to live. Because you can only live... So far in this world, and that curse tells you exactly how far it is. It tells you what you're going to be able to do and what you're not going to be able to do. It shows that the created order that God made good is still there, it's just not good like it was. And that can all be a bit depressing, but then right there with it is the gospel, the promise, the the good news that our rebellion is not all that there is to this story. But even just with that, we're just, that's the icing here. We're on the very surface of this. How do I possibly dig it all out for you today? I I, I don't and I can't. I don't know. Because then you have Jesus coming along, very well opening up our Advent season, which is, no matter how many times I tell you it's not Christmas, I'm not going to convince you emotionally not to feel what the world is telling you to feel, which is that it's Christmas time. I can, I can say it's a different season, but it's still going to feel like that season. Jesus comes along and he says, as we're about to get ready to go crazy buying stuff, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth. I just, I think of the Christmas list my kids give me. My kids, God bless them, they know they're not getting a lot. Uh, and that's intentional, by the way, we, we try to be... Oh the right word is disciplined in learning you don't always get what you want in life. But what Jesus is saying is bigger than just, you know, Christmas lists are bad, get rid of them. Like that's that's not going to help anything. The point is where's your hope? What do you believe about this planet? And what do you not? And then what you believe about this planet is a reflection of who you really are. And if who you really are has a dark eye, an eye that sees everything in the world as not filled with problems that we can't overcome, it's good enough, it can be better, we just got to try harder, then that eye of darkness you have is not just a lens you're looking through, it's your entire person. And if your entire person that should be light is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you think that light is darkness, How great is that darkness? You shouldn't worry about anything. You're more than all of that, food, clothing, whatever. The only thing that matters is the reign of God and his justifying righteousness. That's where all other things come for. Why are you worried about anything, least of all tomorrow? Each day's got plenty of trouble in a broken world. Merry Christmas. It's not not Christmas, right? doesn't feel like christmas at all now christmas we're getting there it's coming we can see it christmas is the fact that as bad as it is here it wasn't so bad that jesus refused to come down into the middle of it suck all the bad into himself and bury it in his grave that's why i love the thorns on the advent wreath i just adore it because we're not far from the cross We should never be far from the cross. And Christmas, most of all. The baby in the manger is the baby that we beat to death and crucify. And he put himself there, knowing that would happen. So that in our killing him, he could kill us without killing us. He could kill us in a way that raises us. What a potent reality. But the issue that I increasingly have in my own head, when I think about that potent reality, this this religion that we have, this salvation that Christians have been talking about for hundreds of years, salvation, if you die tonight, will you be saved? The thing that's been dawning on me more and more, it's, it's a decade and more coming, but it just gets more real all the time, is that the reason, not the only one, one of the reasons people don't care about what we're saying is they don't think we need to be saved. Like, they've convinced themselves it's good enough, and there's nothing to be saved from. And we can talk about hell and what that means, but just leave that one aside. I'm just talking about life out there being good enough. I don't know how people do it. I mean, I know we're better off than we used to be. I think about what it would have meant to visit my parents in Kansas City 150 years ago. It would not have been a one-day, eight-hour drive that drove me crazy. It would have been significantly longer and even life-threatening. So things are better. Things are good. But we've gotten it so good, we've, we've, we've like convinced ourselves it's not bad and that's where the real danger lies we don't think it's really evil out there and in that regard we don't we have trouble making the emotional and intellectual connection to the history of jesus if Jesus is just like a, a nice God I can have on my altar at home, he's on the wall so I can remember if pious things exist and it's good to be a good person. right? Well then he's not, it's not Christianity if you're at that point but he's good enough for Americans. Americans can do that. Ah, it Reminds me of a friend of mine He told a story about a Christian bookstore he visited. <laughs> and he was looking at the wall of all the crosses you could buy for your home. And there are crosses with doves on them. and Crosses with cowboy hats on them. Crosses with children on them. Not crucified, but just praying. You've seen ones like that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But it dawned on him, and he shared it with me, and it's quite right. He, he noticed there wasn't a single one with Jesus on it. And he realized that American Christians will put anything on a cross. As long as it's not Jesus. Well, that says something about us, doesn't it? And as Lutherans, that we've been yanked into that now we, have, we got a bare naked cross up here and it's not wrong, it's not evil but it's not, it's not disconnected from the history of letting go of Jesus on the cross because reformation didn't do that it kept the crucifix anyway the point is if Jesus is just a nice little God to pray to and feel like I have spirituality about then a text like Genesis 3 isn't going to have much for you it's like a myth much for you. It's like a myth. It is a myth. It's a story about a talking snake and some people and how you shouldn't be bad. And if you're bad, bad things happen, so be good. Pat the kid on the head, send them off to bed. Make sure you get your candy and your video games on the way. That's all we need as Americans. And again, this is my point. We don't think there's anything we need to be saved from. Luther talks about it in the Catechism when he's trying to express why you should pray the Lord's Prayer. He says, first, you should ask yourself if you have a beating heart. Yes. Then you should believe what the Bible says about that beating heart. You got it from Adam, and that means it's evil. Evil and wretched. And as that is the reality, it's going to die. And you need to be saved from it. And so you need Christ. right? You need the Lord. You need his prayer. And then he goes on and says, and if that's not enough for you, just remember that the devil is out there day and night looking for you, thinking of you, plotting your destruction. And certainly the world is not going to give you an easy time. And again, as much as we've convinced ourselves it's good, are you kidding me? Are you not stressed out that it's Christmas? What on earth went wrong? Right? Shouldn't we be, like, relaxed that it's Christmas? Isn't that the point? But instead, we're freaked out about it. So the world's going to give us no end of trouble. Our flesh is happy to go along with the world. And then, again, my real point, what do we need to be saved from? There is this ancient, roaring, wicked foe who is neither slumbering nor sleeping ever, with a mind that has been behind all of history, a greater knowledge of Scripture than you, who has no hope in life but your downfall. That's it. It's the only thing he's got. Genesis 3 tells you that. I'll try to show you in a moment. If that's true, that there's a Balrog, a dragon, a nasty beast of mutated evil, hiding behind reality, plotting the the downfall of mankind, well, now we got something to be saved from. Don't we? And yeah, maybe we're crazy because nobody believes in that kind of stuff. They believe in the Big Bang instead, which makes so much more sense. Although, I'm sorry, note the sarcasm. It doesn't. Genesis hits us up the side of the head and tells us the world you think you're living in with your eyes and your nose and your mouth and your hands is not the world as it really is. You're living in an epic fantasy, a story for the ages. And the lie is that you're not, that it's just life, it's just normal, it's just get up, go to work, have a weekend, You're not really dealing with an ancient foe and a dragon and armor that protects you from his wiles and attacks and a king who reigns everlastingly with hands given to heal. Ah, it's all a story. It's just nice stuff. Just go to work, buy some presents. Do you see what I'm getting at? So, to be to be the Christians who stand apart from this falling age that we do know is happening in our country. It, it begins by landing in Genesis 3 with both feet planted and not looking back and believing it so firmly that this is reality. What I see is not what this says is. And to believe that as a group, as a corps, as a military, soldiers... Soldiers redeemed by blood, covered in armor, which is that blood, unassailable and immortal, going out to fight not with swords but with words. Words like, he is risen, and words like, I forgive you. Genesis 3 gives us a way to, wow, well, to break the mold and land outside and be holy. It starts off by saying that the serpent's more crafty, than all the other beasts of the field. We could spend an hour just on that issue. Is it a talking snake? As a kid, I imagined like a little garter snake, right? A little three-foot-long thing, around the tree, like all the pictures show, only he talked. And I didn't question it at that point because I was a kid. You don't question much. Uh, there's a guy in a red suit, right? Whatever. But as I got older, it was like, well, that's kind of weird. And it really struck me when Pendulette of Penn and Teller fame made a video scoffing at Christianity about how he wanted to believe it and how no one could give him an answer about the talking snake. And so he couldn't believe it. And it made me angry because there are answers, but also because that's the picture that people have of our religion. They think we're crazy. They think we're crazy. And I don't have a problem with them thinking we're crazy, but they think we're crazy for the wrong reasons. I'm not crazy because I believe in talking snakes. I'm crazy because I believe there is a dragon, a demonic dragon out there running the universe, trying to destroy us. Please think I'm crazy for that and not for the talking snake. Get the real thing if you're going to be rejecting this, right? So now I don't, I don't know if this is a dragon. I know that John calls him a dragon in Revelation the word drakon comes from Greek and he uses it. Dragon. I know that our pictures of dragons are completely different from the ancient world. Dragons were just big, big serpents, big lizards. I don't know. But I know that he was not like the other beasts. And I don't think it was just because the devil inhabited a snake. Remember that the angels are part of creation. They're not outside of it. When God said, let there be light creating the heavens and the earth, he's making the angels. And If you remember, fallen world, like I said before. If you remember, the name we have for Satan from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, I believe, is is Lucifer, right? Lucifer, which means light bringer, one who bears the light. So when I hear God saying, let there be light, at the start of Genesis 1, I can't but not see a shining light spiritual dragon of light bursting forth above all the other beasts of the field. That's a good thing. That's what I think our religion teaches. Now, I'm giving you a caveat on this one. You don't have to imagine it the way I just imagined it. But you've got to believe that there is this being that is out there above and beyond all the other beasts, and he's going to do something to this woman that God has made that is not what he's supposed to do. It's not what he's supposed to do. And what he does at root is he causes her to question God's word. Did God really say that? Is it, is it really true? And of course that's the trouble we have with Genesis 1 to 3 to begin with, isn't it? People come along and they say, well, I can't really mean what it looks like it says. 24-hour day, it can't be that. Did God really say that or did he mean ages and years? Eh? Same question. Now, she just kind of bats it aside, but this is his ploy all along. He wants one thing. He wants you to stop trusting what God says. He wants you to trust your eyes and not your ears. She doesn't catch it. She just says, oh, no, no, you're wrong. I'll, I'll help you out here. We, we can eat of all the trees except that one tree. That tree will kill us, which, it's its own fun tangent, we'll leave that one aside from today, for today. But the serpent comes right back at her. And now you get the bald-faced lie no 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 no. that tree's not going to kill you you got this whole thing backwards that guy who says he's god he doesn't want you to be like him that's how he gets his power so if you eat that tree you'll be like him and you'll be like him in knowing evil like he does you don't know evil yet you know good that tree can teach you evil and you need that you think death's a bad thing but it's not it's good it's what you want and She had no category for any of this. Oh, oh, death's a good thing. Sounds great. She didn't know what it was. Kind of like we don't know what life without sin is. Can't imagine it. In any case, she buys it. She buys it. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that when she buys it, she has no clue what she's doing. She is deceived. Deceived. Tricked. Completely lost. Doesn't know what she's doing. And so she eats this fruit. She becomes a transgressor. But Paul tells us also that Adam, when she gives it to him, he knows exactly what's happening. He sees the whole picture, and he eats it anyway. You have two ways to look at that. John Milton of Paradise Lost fame kind of says it this way, that he saw that she had already fallen, and lest she go alone into the fallen world, he went with her. It's very pious. Um, I think he wanted to be God. He saw it, he understood it, he bit into it, took it, and in so doing, without their being aware of it, they did something completely different. Yes, they didn't believe God's words, but whose words do they decide to believe now, forever? The devil's. So that being God to himself meant first bending the knee to a different word entirely. And the result of that immediately is shame. 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 Their eyes are open, they are naked, and in that shame of being vulnerable and open and not what they're supposed to be, that's the evil. The evil is to not be what I'm supposed to be and to know it. In that, they have one immediate inclination, cover it up, hide it, make it go away. The Lutheran word for that is justify yourself. Seek a justification. What can we do it with? I know, works. That'll do it. Let's take some leaves and cover the shame. And they hear God coming and they know it's not enough. Their works will not cover them. So they hide in the garden and he calls to them. I'm going to tell this story again, even though it'll push our time too far, but uh, it's one of my favorite memories. It was in, we were in New Jersey, so first year as a pastor or so, and Chloe was probably one and a half or so. And so she could crawl, move around a bit. No, she was more, maybe it was less than, maybe it was less than that. She was crawling. She wasn't really walking yet. In any case, there's this glass, sliding glass door to the balcony in the apartment. It has a, a a thing you cover windows with. Can't get the word. Curtain, thank you. Very helpful. (laughs) Has a curtain on it that the light kind of comes through a little bit, but it, you know, covers the, the, the window. And she had crawled behind it. and You could see her shadow behind the curtain and the bump of the curtain coming out. And we would always kind of play this game, where's Chloe, where's Chloe? Where's Chloe? And uh, she didn't answer though. Normally she'd like answer, but she wasn't answering. She, she'd reached this point where she, she knew she was hiding. But I could see her, I knew where she was. And so at one point I finally said, are you behind the curtain? And I see this little shadowed head go, <laughs> yeah. uh, The point of that story has nothing to do with the story except for that. God calls to Adam and Eve, where are you? When he knows exactly where they are. And I think the reason is similar unto my reason with her. Which is that I love her. And I enjoy hearing her. I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy the connection. Well, he calls to them. And they do answer. It's not as cute. But at least they admit what's going on. I heard you. I'm afraid of you. I'm ashamed. I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I'm hiding. God says, why are you ashamed? Who told you to be ashamed? Did you eat the evil? Did you stop believing that evil was bad? Because evil is to be ashamed. Like That's it. You got it. You know it now. And he got this bit, uh, you could dig on this for hours. He says, the woman made me do it. And then he goes to her, oh, you made him do it? Well, the devil made me do it. That's her answer. We've been doing this ever since, right? The part I want you to not miss and absolutely take with you is that after all of that, after Adam knows what he's doing and destroys the world, after a woman in her <clears throat> being deceptive, naive trust leads him there after the devil in his whatever diabolical creation of hatred for everything plans and plots this entire thing and we're we're now there his creatures not God's but his creatures under the devil's thumb and admitting being forced to admit to God what has happened having every dessert being you're done now goodbye fire God just goes right past Adam and woman and goes straight at the devil and says it to him, but not to us. It's marvelous. It doesn't make any sense. It's not fair, actually. But he says to the devil, you now are no longer part of creation. Now, I know the language here is a bit odd in this curse. The curses, this is why Genesis is so valuable. Genesis 3 is so valuable, these curses. They're poetry. They're hard to read. But they're deep. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the beasts of the field. And so we think, oh, I hate snakes. Well, eh, it's kind of weak if you think about it. What it is, is that the demons that were angels now aren't even as valuable as snakes. They're not in the created order anymore. When Jesus dies and rises, he saves you, he saves mankind, He saves the universe, cows, trees, ants, all of it. The whole creation is coming with Jesus into the new age. Except the demons. They're out. Cursed are you above all the beasts. On your belly you shall go and you're going to eat dust. And we think, oh, he's just flicking the dust with his tongue. Well, maybe. But what's Adam made out of again? Oh, yeah, dust. So what's the one hope the devil has? That in his being out of creation and destroyed, he can take... You with him. All the days of his life. And yet, again, God's still speaking to devil. This is what you're going to try to do. I'm not going to let you. I'm going to put hatred between you and the humans, embodied in the woman. I'm going to make it so that they don't entirely follow you. As you rebel against me, so they will rebel against you, even in their curse. And then in the midst of that, I'm going to insert my well, my antidote, right? The one offspring of woman whose enmity with the devil will be such that he can read this psalm and not bat an eye on it. Did you, did you question these words? Take your hand from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Well, when that's Jesus going into the wilderness to face down the devil's temptation, to crush his head, In his wounded heel on the cross. Well, that's a whole different thing, isn't it? And that's what it says then. He's going to bruise your head. Crush it. You're going to die, Satan. I got you. Even though he's going to be bruised himself. Before you and I get the curse of our experience rightly deserved from the sin, God saves us by removing us from the devil in Jesus. Genesis chapter 3. What follows, and we don't have time to impact all the wisdom, is that everything that we could know about this age and how it's broken is listed. Ladies, you get, it's all for all of us, but you get this part spoken to you. You and your kids, you're going to have trouble. They're going to hurt to come out. They're going to hurt to raise up. They're going to hurt to watch, go off, do their own thing. Pain and childbearing. That's going to be there. Oh, and you're not going to be really happy not being a man. Sorry, it says your desire shall be for your husband, but that's just a nice American translation. It's your jealousy will be for a man. That's what it says. You'll be discontent with womanhood, and if you aren't watching what feminism has become, that's what feminism is: is discontent with womanhood. It's not about being woman; it's about not being woman. You'll be discontent with your husband personally and with womanhood in general, and it won't work. He's going to rule over you anyway, which there's two ways that happens. You know it, and you don't know it. And I would submit to you that not knowing it is worse. You can ask me about that later. Adam, it's not really better for you. The whole planet got cursed because of you. In pain, you're going to eat. Huh. You're going to get pain to make the food, and the food's going to make pain. You'll struggle with these plants, which the fruit was made for you to eat, but if you try to live on just fruit now, it's a little difficult. And it's going to make you sweat. You're going to find the bread eventually, but it's going to kill you. No matter what you do, all of that, it's going to bring you down. Thorns, thistles, food, dust is where you're going back. Out of the garden you go. Now, there's two more verses I want to hit here. They're not usually read when you hear this passage, but they're there, 20 and 21. They get cast out of the garden, and what do they do next? What sets up this epic reality that has been the history of the world? What's their response to this curse God gave them? The man called his wife's name Eve, it says. Now, that doesn't mean anything in English. Eve is just a couple of sounds. I mean, it doesn't mean anything.